Our scripture reading is from the book of Acts. We are coming to the last couple of weeks in the study of Acts. Chapter 27 is a long chapter, about 44 verses, and it describes the voyage that the Apostle Paul took from Caesarea on the Syrian coast across the Mediterranean, going up into the Aegean and across to the Adriatic Sea, and the things that happened on that voyage. We have selected a few passages from that chapter for our reading this morning. Give attention now to the Word of God. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo in the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island." As the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day, and you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food. It will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. And when they, had all, they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves, we were in all 276 persons in the ship. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. The last time we saw Paul last week, he was sailing south along the coast of Asia Minor on his way to Jerusalem for the Passover. I mean, for Pentecost, I'm sorry. He was on his way to celebrate in Jerusalem. He went into the temple. When he got in the temple, he got in a lot of trouble. And he ended up being in the middle of a riot. And the mob was about to beat him to death. 
when he was come upon by the soldiers who were going to even put more harm upon him, but instead they found out he was a Roman citizen. So the Roman soldiers there out of the Tower of Antonio, which is right next to the temple, took him in and began to question him. Uh, we have gone from chapter 20 to 27. We've passed over several of the most important and fantastic speeches that Paul ever made. Uh, one was to the people of Israel there in the temple environs. Another was before his captors. Paul was held prisoner because he appealed to Rome. He had a right as a citizen to appeal to Rome. Felix the governor thought it'd be a good idea to send him back to Jerusalem from Caesarea where he was imprisoned by the Romans and stand trial before the Jews because the whole issue that he was talking about had to do with Jewish law and Jewish tradition. But Paul knew if he went back to Jerusalem, that'd probably be his last place to ever be. So he appealed to Rome. And so now he's being given free fare on a trip to Rome. He's been in prison in Caesarea for a pretty good while, probably 30, 36 months. From there, he's written a few books. He's had an incredible ministry to the saints in that area. But now he's ready to go to Rome. And it says, and when they decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion. He's put in the uh, care of a very kind centurion and they begin to sail from Caesarea up the coast. And when he, Tyre inside, and when he got to Tyre, the centurion let Paul go ashore for a, a while to be ministered to by the Christians. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Paul had been in prison. I imagine he needed a good home-cooked meal. I imagine he needed some supplies for the journey. He may have been needed to be restored with some of his books or possessions. I don't know what it was, but whatever. He was sustained in this mission and off they went. And they sailed. How many of you have ever looked in the back of your Bible and seen the three missionary journeys of Paul? And then there's a map usually there that talks about and shows you the route that they took going to Rome. And they sailed up the coast of Asia and then across the Isle of Cyprus where Paul and Barnabas had been and where they had crisscrossed many times. They sailed south of the island and then they made it across to Crete. You remember the islands across the Mediterranean are Cyprus, Crete, and Sicily as he going from, from east to west across the Mediterranean. When they got to Crete, they landed in a place called Fair Havens. And it was there that Paul realized that they were probably going to be into some really difficult, stormy times. And he advised them not to continue, but they couldn't winter the ship, which was laden with cargo, wheat actually from Egypt. They were going to need to find a better place. And so just around the corner on the same island was a much better place to harbor, so they set sail. And when they did, a northeastern wind came and drove them out to sea. And after three days, they realized they were in real trouble because there was no more islands. Look at the map. There's no more islands out there till you get all the way over to Sicily. There's a couple of islands near Sicily. So they were out to sea and they were driven through this incredible storm. And it lasted for two weeks. Can you imagine that? 
Paul out there on the tempest with other prisoners, with the Roman guard, with the captain of the ship, the sailors. And the text said 276 persons in all. Some texts say 76, but either way, there's a good number of people on the, um, on the ship and they're out there. And one of the things that it said that in the midst of all of this storm, it says they lost all hope of being saved. All hope of being saved was abandoned. In other words, they're out on the ship in the storm and the sailors recognize there's just no way they're going to ever get out of this alive. The whole group of them in despair, in panic, in the deepest fear, the darkest moments. This is an interesting motif uh, in the scriptures. You've got a picture of a preacher in a boat on a raging waters. Noah. But the boat was the ark of safety for Noah. Jonah running from God on the Tarshish-bound ship out in the storm, and he recognized that he was the problem. And rather than being saved by the boat, he was thrown out of the boat at his own request. And they pitched him overboard. He was saved by the great fish that swallowed him and kept him in his belly for three days. And it's interesting that it's on the third day that the troubles really began in this voyage in the text. Jesus on the Sea of Galilee in the midst of a storm. But Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is at peace. He's actually down in the boat asleep. It's the disciples who are in fear. The disciples are the ones in panic. And they're called upon the Lord. And they even question the Lord's motives. Does he even care about them, they suggested. And Jesus brought the peacefulness of his rest and his sleep. There on the pillow in the bottom of the boat, he took it to the deck and spread it to the whole sea. When he said, peace, be still. Now we have another preacher on a boat in a horrible storm, what will be the outcome of this particular episode? Well, the scriptures tell us that in the middle of all of this, they didn't take Paul's advice. They launched out. They got into this horrible storm. They had to start throwing the tackle over and all of the uh, equipment to the ship. There's, a, it, there's an amazing amount of detail in this passage. It talks about the nautical practices there of the uh, the maritime industry of the first century. It's just remarkable. And it's one of the questions that people have about how uh, historic is the book of Acts. And it's incredibly historic in the way that the, uh, sold, the sailors would normally uh, proceed. And they had done everything they could to survive. And Paul calls them together and says, uh, first of all, Paul says, I told you so. <laughs> He had warned them that they were going to lose the ship, the cargo, and the passengers if they didn't listen to him. But then he had received a fresh word from the Lord which said, no, you're not going to be lost. The ship will be lost. 
They will jettison the cargo, but everybody on the ship will be saved. And this we can't help but see with the historic teaching and preaching that we see Paul having done. And Paul had written earlier to the church at Rome and told them, I'm on my way. I'm coming your way. I'm almost going to be in Rome on my way to Spain. <laughs> he just didn't know exactly at that time how he was going to get there. He probably thought he was going to buy a ticket or, or take another overland trek across Macedonia and Greece and come in on the eastern side of, of Italy. But no, this was God's providential plan for Paul was to put him on this voyage in the midst of this incredible storm. Because on this voyage, there are a number of things we see about the way the Lord deals with us on our voyage of life we go through. One of the first ones that we'll ever see is the working of the sovereignty of God. God's sovereign will was that Paul would make it to Rome. God's going to get Paul to Rome because God had determined that Paul would make his defense before Caesar. So the will of God was known. Not only that, the Lord had granted him as a measure of God's wonderful grace. God could have saved Paul alone somehow, but instead God says, I will graciously give you all the other passengers. Quite often God will bless people for the sake of his own people. God blesses his own people in the midst of all sorts of unbelievers and the unbelievers receive this good providence of God, this common grace that comes upon them that is then shed abroad to the wider population. God's decrees and God's determinations bring about blessing for his people for sure, but often others. And Paul was promised in verse 24, behold, which is an interesting way of putting it. This is, you say behold, it's something about which we might, might be surprised, amazed, or wonder. Behold, God has granted all those who sail with you. It was the decree of God that Paul would make it to Rome. And even though he was in a boat full of people that had abandoned all hope, Paul had been assured by God's own messenger that he, Paul, would make it to Rome. He would not be lost at sea. He would make it all the way to Rome. And those that were with him would survive the voyage as well. So that settles it, doesn't it? God's sovereignty, it should settle it in our minds. We shouldn't worry anymore about it. No matter what happens, no matter what anybody does, no matter what anybody says, no matter what, it's going to come to pass. And that's certainly true. But there was an interesting little episode. We didn't read it in our text, but at one point, the sailors, knowing what kind of condition they were in, decided that they would escape. And so they started lowering the lifeboats under pretense that they were going to set anchors. 
And they started to lower the lifeboats and literally to bail out of the ship, the sailors. And Paul caught them in the act of what they were doing and told the centurion, the soldiers, the Roman soldiers who were there to guard the prisoners, of what was happening. And Paul makes an interesting statement. He said, unless these stay in the boat, you cannot be saved. Paul, I I thought God said you're going to make it. That should end, end it right there. And in a very real sense, of course it does. But along with God's sovereign will goes human responsibility. We are responsible to do that which God has commanded us to do. And we are to stay in the boat. That's God's way in being sovereign over the end. That is, we'll make it to Rome. He's also sovereign over the means. Everybody has to stay in the boat. And one of the most interesting contests between army and navy was when the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let the lifeboat sink into the ship, into the sea, thereby stranding the sailors on board with them to enjoy whatever might be the outcome. God's sovereign will, man's responsibility. Here's a portion we didn't read, the very last verse of the chapter. All were brought safely to land. God's will was accomplished. It was carried out. And it was carried out because God determined it. But it was not without a part played by the people. They had to stay with the boat because ironically, it's interesting that when they were saved, and in the next chapter, we read a little bit about their scramble uh, to land and where they landed and about Paul's ministry there on the Isle of Malta. But it was pieces of the boat that some of them held on to that enabled them to make it to shore. Because as they began to move, they saw they were getting near land and they took a sounding of of 20 fathoms and then 15 fathoms as they got closer, they knew. And at some point then they all got into the sea. Some swam, but that boat, the pieces of it, what was left of it, brought them all safely to land. And that's how God accomplishes His sovereign will, is He provides means, He provides pieces of the boat, things to cling to. Sometimes they're small mercies. Sometimes they're seemingly insignificant things. Sometimes they're brief moments in our lives, but they're God's provision for saving us and bringing us safely to land. When this assignment for this passage came down uh, earlier in the week, I read through it and I almost went into despair. (laughs) I said, this is just a story of Paul's Journey to Rome. It's an exciting story. It's a dynamic story. It's, it's great, but, but where's the gospel? Where's Christ? Where's the stuff that we love to preach? Where's the Old Testament reference? Where's the drama in the passage? Where's the gospel in the passage? Where's the cross in the passage? 
That's what I look for when I read a passage of Scripture. An eye for one dark, cloudy season this past week questioned the Word of God. <laughs> and then it just dawned on me. Why would the Lord put this whole passage in here if there weren't things to show us for our spiritual life? This is not just a narrative. It's not just a story. It's just not an exciting adventure. And it's not just a voyage that, that took place historically, which it certainly did. But there are things in this passage, and I, and I read it over again, and this time, I'm going to see if I can find divine truth and comfort and joy and gospel and redemption in this passage somewhere. And I, I just read it one more time. And when I read the passage one more time, things started jumping out at me like I wouldn't believe. I was wondering, I've got to have something to preach on Sunday. I've got to come up with something. And my goodness, there it was. Verse 23, Paul, when he stands up before the people, he says, the God to whom I belong. That's what kept Paul in the boat. That's what kept Paul assured. That's what strengthened Paul is he knew he belonged to the Lord. He belonged to God by sovereign election. God had marked him out for salvation before the foundation of the world. He had written his name in the Lamb's book of life. Paul believed with all of his heart that he was called by God, chosen by God, separated from his mother's womb to the gospel and to salvation. So if he had any confidence in anything, he belonged to God. I am his and he is mine. He knew the song of the song of Solomon, the song of the beloved. He knew the Old Testament covenant where it says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And Paul says, God to whom I belong. He was God's by adoption. He knew the spirit of adoption had come upon him whereby God had said, this alien, this stranger, this sinner, this unjust man is mine and I'm going to claim him and put upon him my spirit of adoption. Make him a full heir and a full son and a full child of mine. And Paul had expounded this in the book of Ephesians, which he had perhaps just written in Caesarea. And he knew he belonged to God by regeneration. He had been born of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God had quickened him and brought him to life. So now he was not only set apart and called, but he had actually been regenerated by the Spirit of God. There was no question that whether Paul lived or died, he was the Lord's. He had written these things in epistles earlier. The last one was from the book of Romans. But he now can see how he has to live them out. God had given to them, to him, the revelation, and now he gives him the reality that no matter what happens, he belongs to God. In your storm-tossed life's experience, comfort can be found in many places, but the first place will be knowing you belong to the Lord. He also says in that same passage, he says in verse 23, the God to whom I belong whom I worship. 
here in the midst of this awful, awful turmoil and storm when everybody around him was in, a, in panic and fear and the spirit of treachery was on the sailors as they were trying to uh, abandon the ship. And the spirit of retribution and anger was on the soldiers as they cut the ropes off the lifeboats that the sailors were trying to lower. In the midst of all of this sin, degradation, and hopelessness, Paul worships the Lord. He praises, magnifies, glorifies, serves. The object of his worship is the Lord God, the true God of heaven and earth. What a testimony. Kind of like Jonah. <laughs> Jonah said, it's my fault. The God that I serve is so powerful that he can bring this storm on you. And this storm that we have here, Jonah told the men that were sailing to Tarshish, this is my fault. Paul knew that God was the sovereign over the seas and he knew that this was the God he worshiped. So whether he was in the storm of his life, he was not outside the purview of God's awareness and God's love and God's mercy and God's care. So whether Paul sank to the bottom of the Mediterranean or whether he made it to the court of Caesar, he belonged to the Lord. Verse 25, Paul says, I have faith in God that it will be as I told you. Here Paul gives a confession of his faith. I have faith in God. I believe God. All the empirical evidence roundabout showed that they were pretty much hopeless. I mean, they had no hope of any. There wasn't even an island to be grounded on at that point. But Paul believed God. Whoever comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And then verse 35. Giving thanks to God when he served the, the food. It's almost like a, a pagan communion. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know how many of those people had come to believe in the Lord by this time. I believe there were few. I just can't imagine Paul being on a boat in any circumstances without witnessing, testifying, and preaching to somebody. And there, Paul administers a meal that they were 14 days hungry. And he administers this meal. But before he does, as hungry as he and they were, he stops to give thanks to God in the presence of all the circumstances. That's not a way for us to think about living our life. You may be shipwrecked. In fact, I would like to suggest that we are. There's a sense in which we're all shipwrecked. We have lost all hope of being saved. But in the goodness of God, He's provided a way. He's promised us and He's provided a way in Christ. You may be shipwrecked, but through Christ and the salvation and the ark of His safety, you will make it anyhow. Interesting, there's a little phrase in the next chapter. 
that just blesses my heart. It says, and so they all came to Rome. <laughs> they all came to Rome. That's the destination. That's where we're headed. That's where we're going to end up. Even though we're storm-tossed now, they all came to Rome. 